in First Peter chapter 5 this morning, verses 1 through 4. Before we get in the message, uh, there's always so much going on, but I want to share the end of April, the association, all the churches are working together to host a, a wild game banquet as an opportunity to bring people who enjoy the outdoors to hear about Jesus. So be checking into that, looking at information that that's available, and you may want to be a part of that, consider it. It should be a real blessing. The guy that's the speaker is actually a world-renowned archer and does that ministry all over the country. And there'll be prizes and all that. So keep that in mind and be in prayer. And the second thing, as the puppets mentioned to us about um, Annie Armstrong and the North American Mission offering that we give at Easter, part of the ministry of the North American Mission Board is the Lay Renewal Weekends, which we are planning on participating in in September. Bob Foy, who came and spoke to us a couple of weeks ago, um, shared with me uh, in Greensboro, April 1st through the 3rd, Southside Baptist Church is going to be having a renewal weekend and invited some of us who might want to go and participate to do that. And so I ask you to pray about that. Consider going. I plan on going. It's April 1st through the 3rd. I'm going to go 1st and 2nd and come back Saturday night. And what I'd like is for somebody besides me to be able to go and come back and just share what we see God's up to so that we have a picture here of maybe what God wants to do among us. So I've got a sign-up sheet on the door out there where we have the supper club list. So keep that in mind and encourage you to consider being a part of that weekend. It should be a great blessing. So uh, let's look at the word. First Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. As we consider hope beyond being religious. So we stand in God's honor. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, um, Father, we talk about your people and that's your church. The church is not a building. That's just where we meet together, the church is your people. And Father, um, the expectations we have and what your word has to say, Father, about serving you, I I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit might minister and speak to us as we look at your word. Father, I pray that you would speak far beyond what I ever could. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to minister to us through your word. Thank you for allowing us to sing to you, to pray to you, to give to you. Father, just that this time is for you. Continue to lead us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Think about preachers. Um, anybody that's preached or studied to preach for any length of time comes across a guy that preached in the 1800s in London by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who started at 20 years of age in a church called Metropolitan Church. And they ended up rebuilding the church to fit more people. And young Charles, at 20 years old, was the pastor and served there that one church, his whole ministry, over 38 years. And he was kind of a flamboyant character. Uh, people loved his preaching, but a lot of times he was criticized. One of the main things he was criticized for among the churches was that he had a vice. He loved to smoke a good cigar. And so it was said of Charles, they said, when are you going to follow Jesus and quit smoking those cigars that you love to smoke? And here was his answer. He said, I will keep smoking until I carry this to an extreme. And so they asked him, well, what's an extreme? It's when I smoke two cigars at one time. He had a sense of humor. As he would speak, the other thing that he was attacked of is he and his wife had a large home called Westwood, and the media was always under attack of Charles Spurgeon. And he suffered from depression. It was said at the time of his death in the 1800s that the church had 14,000 members and people would wait outside to come in and hear him. And whereas some preachers would say, now that's a church, that's where I want to be, where there's thousands coming. And people say, yeah, where well you got this incredible preacher. But the truth of the matter is... There were a lot of people who didn't want to touch Charles Spurgeon with a 10-foot pole because he was somewhat controversial. And there was a lot of infighting among those 6,000 people that would come to church. What is the point? we got some rough edges. It's always been that way among God's people. None of us got it together. We're on this road and we need grace. We need to serve Him. Matter of fact, as you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a picture of what the church is to look like, and it describes a human body. And as a matter of fact, as you look at this illustration comparing the human body to the body of Christ, it almost looks like a really poorly directed, cheap zombie film. Where you could picture the feet and the legs going one direction. This one going the other direction. The eyes want to do one thing while the ears are doing something else. And every part of the body just doing its own thing. The trouble is the body has to work in unison for it to work properly. If the eyes don't work, we're going to walk into stuff. Or off cliffs or all kinds of trouble. If the ears don't work, we don't hear what needs to be heard. If the feet don't work, forget walking. We can't even really stand up. The body has to work in conjunction. And a preacher, he is just a conduit of God's grace through a personality that's a mess. Just like the rest of you guys. And a matter of fact, I think one of the mistakes oftentimes preachers can make is they can long to be like who they think is a perfect preacher. I remember one guy that... uh, I heard him say at his church, he said, I want to be like Adrian Rogers. I want to walk like Adrian Rogers. I want to talk like Adrian Rogers. Look, this is nothing against Adrian Rogers. He was a fantastic guy in the pulpit, very gifted. 
But God doesn't want this brother to be Adrian Rogers. God wants him to be who God made him. God wants each of us to be who God made us. So, what is ministry? It's not a one-pony show, as they say. It's not even a few leaders in a church. Ministry really occurs when the body's working together in conjunction for one solid purpose, which is called the gospel, the good news, that is carried out. Sometimes it's carried out through the way we love and treat one another. Other times it's carried out with the words that we use that proclaim that awesome truth. But it all fits together for that purpose. And although we're different, we all matter. Uh, Years ago, I ran across this great illustration of the church and how it is to function. And I want to share that with you because it's the best thing I've ran across. This is my idea of ministry. A wise retired pastor described his understanding of ministry in three phases. In the first phase, as a young hotshot preacher just out of seminary, who thought more highly of himself than he should, he pictured the ministry like this. The people of my congregation were out in the deep water, going down for the third time. I was high and dry on the shore, telling them how to get to where they were, to where I am. (laughs) Then, he added, my concept changed. After a few years in the ministry, I came to a new understanding. The people were still in the water, and they were still in trouble, but now I was at the edge of the water. With one foot on dry land and the other foot in the water, with my hand stretched out toward them to help them get from where they were to where I was. After many more years in the twilight of my ministry, I finally came to a clear understanding. I understood that I was in the water with the people. They were holding me up, and underneath us all were the everlasting arms of God. Guys, that's a picture of us all, whether we're, quote, in the ministry. In one sense, we're all in the ministry. Because it is our calling and the everlasting arms hold us up as together we're moving toward Jesus. Held by the everlasting arms. As we look at our text this morning, Peter shares a description of a pastor, of a shepherd's heart. And we're going to look at that in our time that remains. First... Pride of position must be absent. It is not a preacher's place, it's not a pastor's place to talk about himself, to rattle off what he thinks he's accomplished or how good he is, so forth. Someone has said that he who tooteth his horn all the time will runneth down his battery. And there's a lot of truth um, to that. It's interesting as you look at how Peter describes himself. He was an apostle. But he doesn't talk about his authority. He doesn't talk about his position as one of the key main leaders of the church. After all, Jesus said to him, upon the church, 
will be built. And you will be a foundation of that. Because I'm the foundation. But through you I'll work, Peter. And he preached at Pentecost. But he didn't mention any of that in here. Notice what he says in his description. He says to the elders among you, to you other guys who God has chosen to use for ministry. He says, I appeal as a fellow elder. He says, I'm not here trying to tell you that here I am and here you are. We're in this together. And he says, a witness of Christ's sufferings. And one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. You see, Peter He's sharing about, and this is about the cross. It's about the cross. I love uh, a, a quote from Spurgeon I was going to share with you guys, and we'll come back and read. Spurgeon, in his, one of his uh, sermons, said, I take my text and I make a beeline to the cross. He says, I've always considered with Luther and Calvin that the sum and substance of the gospel lies in the word substitution. Christ standing in the stead of man. If I understand the gospel, it's this. I deserve to be lost forever. The only reason why I should not be damned is this. That Christ was punished in my stead. And there's no need to execute a sentence twice for sin. You see, you don't execute a sentence twice for sin. It's already been paid for at Calvary. At Calvary. It's interesting as you look at Peter and and you see little glimpses of the fact that he was a witness as he describes here in the very first verse. Matter of fact, in verse 3, where he talks about not lording it over those entrusted to you, There's a a picture here of Peter with the other apostles coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, who's the greatest here? We want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Tell us who's got it, Lord. (laughs) And the Lord said, it's not like that, guys. Whoever wants to be the first and greatest must be the servant of all. To be clothed with humility. Remember Jesus as he took the towel. He washed the disciples feet. As he showed forth what it means. To be humble. In 1 Peter 5.8 which we'll look at later. There's a mention of the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. Looking for whom he may devour. And through Peter's mind must have went the thought of. Where the Lord told him that. Satan has requested to sift you like wheat, Pete. (laughs) But I'm praying for you. That must have come to his mind, those words in verse 10. Where it says, He himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The idea of restoring is the picture of mending nets. They're worn out. They need to be mended for use. So there's a picture of Peter realizing, hey, I denied the Lord three times, but He restored me. He mended me. Peter wasn't talking through this letter, look at me. He's saying, look at Jesus. 
and what Jesus has done in my life. I am a witness of that. And guys, that's the job of any preacher, pastor that loves the Lord. Is Don't look at me, look at Jesus. That's the call. Second, to shepherd the flock that is among him. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving as overseers. It's the picture of shepherding sheep. It is not the picture of hurting them or chasing them down. It's gently tending to them. Gently leading them. And the picture here as he says in the word, God's flock. You know, sometimes we have the habit of saying, this is my church. Or as a preacher, we might say, these are my people. Or this is my ministry. Sometimes we need to step back and say, no, it's all God's. None of it belongs to me. Of course, that means none of it belongs to you either. It belongs to God. I love Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all those who live in it. Well, that's pretty inclusive. It's all the Lord's. It is all His. And we must ultimately love Him. A shepherd, a shepherd's heart, uh, the calling of a pastor... It, Look, it's, it's good to go to school and it's good to learn and, and, and classes, all that stuff. But a shepherd's heart is something that God puts in to a, a man. As they say, it, it's not something taught as much as it's something caught. Because God gets a hold of the heart. Um, if you have evangelists full to fill the pulpit, the church gets evangelized. If you have teachers full to fill the pulpit... The church gets educated. When you have pastors fill the pulpit, the church is shepherded. The church is pastored. Jesus speaks of Himself as being the ultimate shepherd and the sheep hear His voice. And the under-shepherd following the great shepherd is to bind those that are hurting, to lead the broken back to the great shepherd. Now, I want to look at three prominent attitudes uh, that remain here. First is willingness. There must be a spirit, an attitude of willingness. Notice what he says uh, in verse 2, serving as underseers. He says, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be. It's never something that should be forced. It's a love that needs to grow and needs to be given and received in the relationship with the pastor and the people uh, that occurs. Uh, maybe heard the joke of the, the mother was trying to get her son out of bed and she said, you need to get up for church, honey. He said, but I don't want to get up. She said, well, I'll give you three reasons why you need to get up. And he goes, why do I have to get up? She said, well, number one, it is Sunday. 
And we are having church and you need to get up. He said, but I don't want to get up. He said, number two, church is in 40 minutes. So you need to get up. He said, but I don't want to get up, Mom. He said, they don't like me out there. I don't want to get up. And she said, but you have to get up. You're the pastor. Oh, boy. It should not be the heart of it. It's not to be forced week after week. But that there's a willingness. You know, it's really sad. I heard this and uh, I thought, is that really true? They say that when ten people began work in churches, as pastors, only one out of ten will finish in the pastorate. A church. And I thought, wow. And I began thinking back to a number of the people I know. I don't know how accurate that is, but I have to say I know a lot of guys that started out with me that are no longer serving in churches. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pastors may not act like, might act like we're rhinoceros, but because we care, it hurts. So just remember that. I mean, please tell me. I would rather you tell me if there's a problem straight up instead of letting it cook. Because when it cooks inside, it might explode. And that's worse. That's worse. Anyway, okay, next one here. Watch out for the motive. <laughs> Watch out for the motive. I can't read upside down. Turn my Bible back. Uh, he says, Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Uh, the reason... To change churches or go to the next church is not for a bigger paycheck or a bigger crowd or a bigger anything. <laughs> Check the motive. Why? Why do we do any of this? I think that's good for all of us. Every time we get up in the morning, why should I get up? Why should I obey you, Lord? Why should I follow you? Why should I... We need to check our motive. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of men's hearts. Check our motives. God, why am I doing this? God, and if it's wrong, change my motivation, Lord. Get me right. Third, hold God's people loosely. Not to think of them as they have to be just like you as a pastor. Or you want the church to have uh, your characteristics. and All of that. It says verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. Being an example of uh, humility. A servant. That's what it's talking about. Not being a guy who calls the shots, but being a guy who knows he's the little shot and Jesus is the big shot. That's the attitude. That is the heart that God wants. It's amazing sometimes. I've always been amazed how sometimes people will, in churches will just follow the preacher. 
Um, I remember years ago, um, I know I've told this before, but in uh, Cindy's home church, and, and there was a guy there, very strong personality. He had this stuff, was Banaka, and he came in a little bottle, and I'm just sitting out there, been to church, he take this little bottle, and what do you do? You know, some of the stuff you'd spray in your mouth, shh, shh, remember that for good breath. Well, he would take the little Banaka bottle, and he would just put a drop on his tongue, like that. Man, I'm sitting there. Everybody's pulling out their little binocular bottles and pouring it on their tongue. I'm like, what? What What are they doing? Man, don't worry. I'm not going to get any binocular and expect you guys to binocular blast. (sighs) But the point is, God says we need to have grace with one another. Sometimes we disappoint each other. Sometimes uh, we don't fulfill each other's expectations. We need to have a little grace with each other as God works. And it's not the preacher's job to be a king. Uh, Last one here, mentioned here, is uh, to be aware of the crown of life. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. As he speaks to these other pastors, uh, he says, hang in there. He said, just remember, if you really love Jesus and you really love the people, hang in there. He says, because what is going to happen is you're going to receive a reward. It's called the crown of life. And it happens when you're faithful. Not when you're a great preacher. Not when you're a fantastic pastor. Not when you've got it all together. But when you hang on in faithfulness to God and serve Him as He calls you, as He leads you. And look, let me say, you know, there's people that leave the ministry. Maybe God says it's time to do something else. I'm not trying to say that doesn't happen. The key is what is God saying? And are we listening? And he says, when we listen and we keep following, there will be this crown of life. Matter of fact, the word appears in some translations. It it literally means made visible. In other words, there's a longing for that day. And my eyes will see Jesus. We call it second coming. I don't know. It seems like a lot of times we're going to hear a lot of second coming preaching. He's coming. And it's that picture of Jesus is coming. Have you ever had those days? I have those days. Where it said, come Jesus, come. Be nice about right now. (laughs) But that's the heart. That's the heart that He wants. And I don't think it's just for the pastors. That's for all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. As we belong to you, doing a heart check and a mind check and a gut check, and just a check. First, we need to be sure, do I really belong to the master? Am I in the flock? Am I part of his family? 
If we have placed our confidence, our faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, if He is the great substitute who has already paid the price, the execution we deserved, doesn't need to be paid again, and we are there, we're saved, we're His. But if that's not the case, then we're just playing church. I pray there's no one here playing church today. But that everyone has said yes to the powerful gift that is found in Jesus Christ. That guides us and leads us. Father, what greater day is there than now, today, to trust Jesus for the first time? So if there is one here who's never given a heart to Jesus, who has never said, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Now's a great time. Father, for others who are considering you, I pray you would draw them to you. God, it's not about manipulating people to the front. It's about giving room for me to not be seen and for the Holy Spirit to be seen. So Holy Spirit, speak. Holy Spirit, draw. Holy Spirit, work. And may we just watch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand together.